what? Lucid dreaming. Yeah. The like they just. He forgot about. I forgot. My my okay, shut up. I think I just came up with like a crazy way to buff the beholder in search of something to help the players. Volos has like four or five new beholder types. Well, I right? think Volos realized how just dumb <laughs> the beholder no, but class for was. real, but for real, beholders. Like, we'll get into that in just a second. Yeah, I have, I'm probably, I've written. <laughs> Their xenophobic tendencies into a terrible disposition. Depotism? Despotism? Despotism. Why make words hard? Reading Rather than live in isolation, the aptly named eye tyrants enslave those other creatures founding the control vast... Founding and controlling vast empires. Jesus Christ. An eye tyrant sometimes carves out a domain within or under a major city, commanding networks of agents that operate on their master's behalf. Reference from the lore, Xanathar below Waterdeep. That's what he's doing. Mm. He has kind of overcome his xenophobia. Not fully. He's still pretty xenophobic. But he runs an underground criminal organization under Waterdeep. Is, like, Xanathar bad, though? Like, is he actually evil? Yeah. He's evil, but he's, like... I don't know. He's he's evil because he does have designs on, like, running things. Yeah. And it, it's a lawful evil. Though. He's a lawful evil, though. Yeah. Like, he's going to run an organization and make it so that he eventually doesn't have to do any of the work. Yeah. He doesn't want to destroy Waterdeep. He wants to control Waterdeep. Yeah. And then some. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel you. Whereas you know your 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 cut your run of the mill beholder is just gonna w- not want anybody anybody near just yeah kill them all which I find boring I think that's lame yeah that is lame. You, I mean you, you can do better than that with the beholder mm. yeah. continue alien layers <gasps> not like an onion not like a UFO well I mean the <laughs> oh, sorry comment. <laughs> <laughs> Time. Comment time. No, no, no. The like what you said about how people running beholders is boring. It's the difference between running it as a monster and running it as a character. Yeah. If you're running it as a character for the, your players to interact with, yeah, you're gonna want to play with the personality and what it likes and what it dislikes and how it acts. Mm-hmm. But if you're just throwing it in as like a suddenly beholder appears, and you need to find it, and you're not gonna worry so much about. No. Yeah. Like, if, if you're doing, like, a, a dungeon crawl where, you know, the setting isn't isn't so important, it's more like the mechanics, and you're running it kind of more like a video game, then, yeah, you don't really need to know about all that stuff. But, like, I feel like they have, like, this whole, all these paragraphs about the eccentricities of beholders. How do you not use that, you know? Like. True. Because they refuse to share territory, (laughs) (laughs) most beholders withdraw to frigid hills, abandoned ruins, and deep caverns to scheme. A beholder's lair is carved out by its its disintegration eye ray, emphasizing vertical passages, connecting chambers, stacked on top of each other. What if their eye rays were, like, not of the same mind? What do you mean? Ooh. Like that each eye ray was sentient and yeah. it could do whatever it wanted? Yeah. That would be complicated. Yes. Both from a mechanical standpoint and a roleplay standpoint. What are you thinking, Cass? Expound on your idea. Like, what if they just didn't want to work for him anymore? Like, no. Well, I was thinking about this the other night. Like, what if it, the beholder contracts some kind of like magical disease or something? He's starting to die. Mm. So in order to subvert this, he's like, it's like a worm. His eye stalks are splitting off and trying to leave before they die along with the beholder. And they develop their own personalities and maybe they develop their own like physical little chunky body thing. Yeah, like their own little spherical thing but with yeah. one eye stock and then like finally yeah. a central Yeah, so eye this opens. beholder turns into ten separate monsters 
and because it's with their, I mean, with the yeah. beholder, that's totally doable. Especially in Volo's guide, it like states that like anything that they believe could happen can happen. Mm-hmm. Like anything they think about could just pop up. You know, so mm-hmm. like the magical disease is its self doubt of itself. Well, I don't know if it's his imagination, but it's dreams for sure. Yeah, they can create things using yeah. dreams. In fact, like. Well, there's that. I well, we'll get to that later. That idea that you came up with last yeah. night. We'll yeah. get to that in a little bit, though. Such an environment allows a beholder to move freely, even as it prevents intruders from easily creeping out, pre- creeping about. When intruders do break in, the height of its open ceilings allows a beholder to float up and hairy foes on the floor. As an alien. As alien as their creator, the rooms in a beholder's lair reflect the creature's arrogance. It festoons its chambers with trophies of the battles it has won, including petrified ventures standing frozen in their horrified final moments. Pieces of their beholders and magic items wrestled from powerful foes. A beholder judges its own worth by its acquisitions, and it never willingly parts with its treasures. So, it's like a dragon, but worse. Yeah, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways to dragons. <laughs> it's like a dragon, but ew. It's ego, <laughs> it's, you know, haughtiness, the, the the thinking that it's, like, basically the, the epitome of creation yeah. is itself, is what it sees in the mirror. So, roleplay-wise, first question, what do y'all think is the most important or the most intriguing aspect of the Beholder as written, and why? Amanda, you want to go first? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes! My favorite part is that Beholders can spawn more of an exact copy of themselves or different versions of themselves or something else entirely, not even a Beholder, just by dreaming about it. You know, you could create an entire maze-like dungeon where at the center you have the big boss beholder guy, but you have to fight all these weird... You could homebrew whatever the heck you wanted to fill the dungeon of Mm -hmm. just what he's dreamt of. So you could turn up the frequency of those kinds of dreams where they're just like... Well, popping like, up other beholders. Left what and right. it also talked about how they overcome their xenophobia. It's not because they are accepting of other creatures, but they're accepting of their dream creations. So mm. they've come up with a way to like put themselves in a dream state and just spawn a butt lucid ton. dreaming. Yeah, beholders. like they just mastered lucid dreaming, and they can create literally their own army that they've dreamt up. That's an end game. Yeah, that's a high level yeah. beholder monster. Yeah, yeah. That's a big thing. But that's that my beholder favorite would have to be very like, very good at it because like uh-huh. most of the that's time, the, yeah. as written, it says ninety nine percent of the time when a beholder dreams of another beholder and they run into each other, mm-hmm. they're gonna kill each other. Mm-hmm. It's but a fight to the death. That kind of segues they, into your yeah. idea that you were talking about last yeah. night. Do you want to talk about last that? night? I was thinking of like you know black widow murderers, like women who marry their husbands and then they just brutally murder them because. All they want is a little bit of, you know. Anyways. Their money. Yeah. You know, lots well, of different motivations. this beholder, like, dreams of a mate or a companion, but they just get sick of each other after, like, a few days, and she ends up killing, and just ends up murdering them. And then her horde is actually just these bones and skulls of other beholders who... She has to lock away or else they become the death tyrants. Yeah, or turn undead. Yeah. Like turn into beholder zombies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Found in the back of the book. Yeah. And those are like her minions, is other dead or undead beholders. That's a really cool idea. I think that their paranoia is probably the most influential thing when it it comes to running a game with a beholder in it. Mm-hmm. Because not only do they think they're, like, the the best of the best, but they think everybody's out to get them. And they're like, you know, everybody is trying to take my mantle. Because it, like, affects the way that they build their lair, you know, with the vertical shafts mm-hmm. and everything like that, that. That optimizes their type of travel and makes it very hard for any other type of creature to travel. It also... Uh, influences the way that they hire or enslave minions and the types of minions that they would 
that they would take on. Like, they wouldn't just, like, have your run-of-the-mill throwaway kobolds. Yeah. Because they don't want the grossest, most base type of creature running around and getting their getting their, their perfect layer dirty, you know? So they would have, like... I would say if they're in, like, a countryside, if they're, like, in a mountain or something like that, more secluded, maybe hobgoblins. Like, with casters that, like, you know, can actually, you know, wield magic and have martial training and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go with your typical... your typical minion-type races. You can actually get more sentient and more skilled you know, minions to serve a beholder because the beholder is smart enough and paranoid enough that they'll want the best of the best guarding their stuff, their stuff and their shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think paranoia is, is, is you can't underestimate the effect that that would have on the role play of it. Um, one thing that I think in terms of specific role play from the book that you need to change is in the book. It says they only speak under common and deep speech. Ignore that. <laughs> Literally, they're, they, I think they have a 17 intelligence. Well, it also talks about how intelligent they are. Yeah. Like, their minds are so beyond any other humanoids that they can see so many moves ahead, like a chess game. Give Obviously, they'd be able to know. Yeah. Whatever language. And it's not that they're intelligent. They're just so paranoid. They've literally thought of everything that could happen. It's like the people with anxiety, they're really good in high stress situations because they've already thought about what if this happened. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you I, know? I think it's, it's totally reasonable to run your beholder like a, like an evil Sherlock Holmes, you know, like a, like so a, Moriarty. Yeah. Well, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Forgot about that guy. But do a, do a Moriarty. He forgot about I Moriarty. I forgot Moriarty. Okay. Shut up. I can't. I'm not. watched it. It's okay. I'm not do- Stop! <laughs> so when you're creating when you're creating beholder to you know take into account the 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 aspects of you know the description and how they can create other beholders how they are very intelligent but they're all very vastly different at the same time. Okay, next question. If we're staying in the role play thread. What's one way that you would change the Beholder's personality to make it sort of your own or to make it fit your campaign? How would you change or just kind of, you know, fidget with the dials a little bit in terms of Beholder creation? I don't like being um, confined to evil or good. Alignment changes? Yeah. Okay. But that's just me. I like being surprised. Um, I'm not a DM though, so <laughs> just well, as a player, sometimes okay. I'd like you, to switch it up. But as a player, you think it would be a refreshing surprise to go into a beholder's lair and the beholder's like, would you like some tea? Yeah. And it has like all these little beholder bubble beholders, like just like super cute little, little imps. And they bounce around on the ground like yeah. the dust mites on like yeah. a lot of the, uh, on studios. <laughs> <laughs> they only have like um, maybe one or two eye stocks and they just like, 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 like yeah. but that's just me like I just like being surprised by so just random you, shit what you're talking about tiny beholders yeah but like there's a big beholder and she's like the mama the mama <laughs> so she just dreamt up all these tiny little puff ball beholders yeah, they, they would called they would be called baby holders baby holders ah baby that's holders. pretty good that's pretty baby good baby holders baby holders <laughs> they, don't, they don't even have mouths yet they just <laughs> It's just an eye. Well, Manda and I have thought of these characters, sister (laughs) characters, who have, like, this just... Tiny little... What we thought of, like, a Uh pseudo-beholder, you know, where it's just, like, this eyeball with, like, stalks coming out of it, and there's, like, itty-bitty eyes on the ends of them. No mouth. What do we call him? Just sounds like... "Mm -hmm." I can't remember... Mm -hmm. What? Wallace? Wallace? Was it Wallace? Willem? I don't know. I can't remember the name that we came out from. Willem? William but Wallace. I wanted the eye stocks to move around like a snail. Eye stocks is really slow. <laughs> <laughs> and really, like, gentle. But then the eye ray is a disintegration ray. Like, yeah. it, it will yeah. it just absolutely like, devastate Don't scare him. <laughs> don't scare him. You might, lose. He might burst. burn your ear off. <laughs> Something. 
You're scaring Willem! And she's like, pew! And just put a hole in the roof. <laughs> okay, alright. Manda, what about you? How would you change... Um, role play wise, how would you well, change Well, role play wise, I don't know, because Cassidy already said alignment. Um, role play wise, I don't know, Cass did a bunch of rooms. She said change the, the alignment, change the Damn size. <laughs> Run everything! <laughs> <laughs> she didn't say my idea. I'm going to say until it's my turn. <laughs> take it, take his idea. I don't know what it is. You want to pass? You want to throw it to me? No, shut up. Just let her speak. Yeah, you talk. I'll think okay. about what I want to okay. do. My <laughs> idea would be, like, in, just change it up instead of, like, a like a paranoid egomaniac. Keep the paranoid. But make it more of, like, an agoraphobe beholder um, who is so secluded. Nobody even knew they were there. And they don't really have a lot of, like, ambition because the fear of the outside has changed from, like, they're going to get me and I got to control them before they, you know, defeat me or whatever to just, like, everybody's going to get me. I don't know why. And everything's trying to kill me. And the germs! The germs! Because, like, they don't have any arms. They don't ever touch anything. They just use, like, a levitation ray. And so, like, the adventurers show up. And they've gotten there, like, through the sewers, and this beholder is just freaking out because they're covered in dung water and grossness, and they're just like, ah! So, like, a germaphobe, agoraphobe, monk as a beholder. Monk? Like, Adrian Monk? Monk. And they, <laughs> Adrian Monk from the show, as a beholder, and they kind of just, you, you, you use the beholder as more of, like, a consigliary... Like, uh, they go to them for their, for their, their hyper-intelligence, you know, their, mm-hmm. their eight, 17, 18 intelligence to help them sort of, like, figure out clues and stuff like that. But the Beholder's not leaving their lair. Hell no. They don't even want to consider the idea or something like that. I yeah. feel like it would be kind of fun to do that. Alignment-wise, I don't know. I, obviously it would be, it would have to not be evil. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would ha- it would have to include sort of that alignment change as well. It would at best be neutral. I think that would be a really fun thing to play as a GM to sort of like they know, they don't exactly like at the the first meeting, they don't exactly want the players to be there. They don't want the player characters to be there. They they would like to live in their seclusion. Maybe they dreamt up like a a servant that doesn't have like arms or a mouth so it can't say like where it's at. Yeah, you could get really yeah, you could get really uh creative with what yeah. kind of servants that beholder would even want or if any. You know, yeah. and what their lair would look like if if they don't really I don't know, like would they build defenses or would it be more of like uh would it be the defenses would be more preventative? Like they're just trying to keep people away. Not necessarily trying to, like, fight people inside their lair. They're just trying to deterrent. Yeah, deterrent. Deterrent defenses instead of, like... Maybe they're just in, a, like, a super camouflaged yeah. layer. Like, yeah. Nobody thinks twice about it. Yeah. All right, Amanda, what do you think? What do you think? Uh, okay. So... <laughs> shut up. It... One thing I would like to see is instead of just saying it's a straight-up aberration, you could change the... Um, creature explain type. to our explain to our audience what aberration means. So in Dungeons and Dragons, there are different classes of monster. You can get humanoids. You can get uh, dragon kin. Anything that has to do with dragons, like uh, kobolds. Draconic. Dr- yeah, it's draconic. Shut up. things. <laughs> get it right. <laughs> Uh, draconic creatures, fey, fiend, devils, demons. Basically, just Celestial. like differences of like where they came from and how they came to be. Yeah, yeah, like where they originated from. And a lot of it has to do with what plane they originated from. But aberrations are different because... Aberrations are different because they don't have a specific origin. They have somehow been created through magical means. They appeared and they exist and no one knows where or why or how. They're just there. Um, that's what a beholder is. No one knows exactly where they came from, if they were created, if they were born, if they've existed since the beginning of time. They're just there. And they ruin everything. A mystery! <laughs> but I think people could have a lot of fun with changing uh, 
what type of beholder it is. It could be like a fey aberration. It originated in the Feywild. It Ooh. was born in the Feywild somehow through some kind of magical means, and it it interacts with that world in a specific way because it is fey now. It's not just an aberration. Right. And so maybe it's a little bit more chaotic, mm-hmm. a little less predictable because mm-hmm. of its fey origin. Mm-hmm. And so its motivations are changed because of that origin as yeah. well. Or maybe, like, this could have happened because the beholder dreamt of itself in another life, in another version. Maybe it dreams up its arch enemy, it creates a celestial version of itself. Oh, damn! Right? Ooh. Right? There's, like, some sort of celestial, uber-lawful beholder and it's, out there. it's, like, its skin is, like, platinum armor. Yeah. And it's, like, this Bahamut beholder, and it's, like, shiny. Like, there are a lot of different ways you could go with this. That'd be cool. That involves a lot of creativity. You could invent whatever kind of beholder you wanted. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. All right. Moving on from roleplay, we're gonna go, we're gonna jump into mechanics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mechanics. Talking about you know all those numbers and what they mean and what what you can do with them and how you can change it up and blah blah blah. First things first. Mechanically, what do you think? Here, let me take that. What do you think is mechanically is the greatest strength of the beholder. It's, like as written? Yes. As written, not changing anything, what is their strongest feature and should not be, you know, underutilized by any GM or DM that is running a beholder? Uh, in my opinion, it's their ability to fly. All you have to do is create a specific layer or terrain for it to be in, and it will be incredibly hard to kill. Because how many other characters in your party at level 13, or and you can even do it at lower levels because the CR system is dumb, dumb. <laughs> but um, how many of them are going to be able to fly and make the rest of the party fly at that level? Flies what? Fourth level? No. Third? I can't remember. But they could make themselves fly. I don't know how many other members of their party they could make fly at that level. But because the Beholder can fly, it can be out of the way of a butt-ton of attacks that... Mm -hmm. There are usually a fair amount of melee characters in a party. If you can fly, you can avoid them the the whole time. (laughs) So it's a third-level spell. Third level. So you have to be at least fifth level level for most... To even be able to cast a spell that would be able to catch Mm -hmm. And that's just you being able to cast fly on yourself or someone else. That's if you decide to do sort of a vertical vertical shaft sort of setup that is described Mm -hmm. in the book, keeping in that way. But, but, what is the fly speed? It's 20 feet. However... That's slow as... It is slow, but as the dungeon master, you can say his fly speed is now 60 feet. I think, You can do whatever you want. And and especially if you're trying to adapt to a party where they are ridiculously powerful, Mm -hmm. and you haven't been able to use the challenge rating system to come up with an appropriate challenge for them. If you know that they're probably going to outright beat this beholder in, like, five rounds... Or less, you can say, okay, well, his flight speed is now 80 feet. <laughs> <laughs> He's just zooming around. Uh-huh. What do you think, Castlet? In terms of, in terms of the holder, what, as a player, what scares you the most? Mm, that's a good question. The, I... <laughs> do, do you have an idea? Yes! <laughs> okay. The anti-magic cone from the central eye is by far its most powerful feature. Beholders are wizard killers. That cone is big, first of all. They're they're caster killers. Yeah, a 150-foot cone. Holy cow. They could be two rooms away and still cancel out an anti-magic field, Mm -hmm. just like the anti-magic field spell. Mm -hmm. It cancels out any spell effect... So the fly thing, mm-hmm. so they just fly up, boom, turn the ray on. Nobody can even fly up yeah. that shaft to catch them. Any magical item, 
the effects of that magical item nullified while in the field. Any sort of magical field effect, like if it's like uh, you know a, a, an elemental surface now, like something's on fire, but it was created magically, or auras, <laughs> or auras from paladins, any of that crap, done. Beholders are wizard killers. They, but but here's the thing: the anti magic field is so powerful that it can also kind of hinder them as well because that means that whoever they're not facing is the one that they can actually direct their eye rays to Mm -hmm. which is their best way of dealing out damage or actually you know Mm -hmm. harming the party so it's kind of a catch-22 it's a tricky situation with beholders because if anybody that you actually want to kill is in that anti-magic field the only thing you have is your bite and the bite is not not the bite great. doesn't do much, which is why I liked the suggestion of it spawning its own mobs, because yeah. it can just deactivate everyone and wait for its minions to take them out, you know? Yeah. So, moving into that, what do we think their biggest weakness is? Barbarians. No, like... <laughs> mechanically... Ranged barbarians. Ranged barbarians. Me- yeah, mechanically... No, yeah. What do we think their weak spot is? Obviously, non-magical damage, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. well, they don't really have Their weak much. spot is their inability, or their lack of powerful melee attacks. Their bite, it doesn't hurt much. And they don't they don't really have any other attacks. What do they have? Do they have like a slam or they, something? No, they, or they have a bite. bite. They have a bite, and then they have ten different irons. And the irons, yeah. Yep, so they it. have no melee capabilities at all. They can just float around and try and dodge and try and use their irons to kill things, but otherwise, it can't do much. Yeah. If 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 your party has any way of restraining them, they're immune to being prone. So knocking them prone is not an option. Mm-hmm. But if you have any way of restraining them at all. Restraining them or getting them into an open space. Yeah, they're done. Wide open spaces, you can kill them really quickly. They're str- they're, the best strategy for a beholder would be to keep it in a tight space, like the shaft layer that's described in the book, mm. so that... They can just back up and keep that anti-magic yeah. field focused on mm-hmm. them and run. You gotta keep them mobile, but then, like, they're so slow. <laughs> it's like, they're mobile, but then it's like, they're slower than halflings. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, ooh. So how would we buff? How would how would, how would you buff uh, a beholder to sort of make them a little, a little extra dangerous? Uh, well, the flight speed. Very yeah, first one. Sure. I don't think you need to buff it super. I think, I, I wouldn't buff it more than maybe 40 feet. Like to 40 feet. So like an extra 20 feet of speed. It depends on how you want to build the layers if you want to keep it tight and compact. If Mm -hmm. not... You could add some kind of other physical attack aside from the bite. Like give their eye stalks spikes and give them a bludgeoning attack that they can like smash you with one of their eye stalks. You know? And they have 10... They get... They get three eye beam attacks. You could have them choose between doing the eye beam attacks or the physical attack, so they'd get three bludgeoning attacks, and that can add up pretty quickly depending on how, how much damage you give each or, of the stocks. Or buff the bite in a non-magical way. Venom isn't magic. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So they have to land the bite, then you gotta run that con save. And it's not a magical con save, but what if it, like, uh... You know, what if the Venom's effect sort of is to you know, sprout little eyes, kind of take a page out of Mercer's book from Ooh. Campaign 2 of mm-hmm. Critical Role, and you start to spout eyes on your body that are shooting your enemies, or your your allies, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think that would be a cool thing. But I think just buff the bite could be a good way to to make it so that those, those, melee, those melee players that are like, yes, I'm finally up close and personal, and the beholder's like, okay, and mm-hmm. it's just like, man, yeah. it's stringy venom, is just, and all of a sudden they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Key to good damning. Yeah. Scare your players. What I, do you think, Cass? <clears throat> I think just not forgetting the advantage that could happen with it being able to think of whatever and have it appear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Because I think having that... It's got a dream of it, though. Yeah, it's got a dream of it. Well, that, To an extent, but there, That's there another ability you could give it. It yeah. oh, okay. has legendary actions, or it could just be a separate action that it has to roll to... Mm. To, um... To recharge, like a breath weapon, mm-hmm. where it can give itself a round or six seconds of lucid dreaming and roll on a table and try and spawn something, you know? Yeah. Right. So, uh, as, as a GM... It is important to kind of like, you're not necessarily trying to kill the PCs the entire time. No. You know, but you, you gotta, want them scared. You want them scared, but you also want them prepared. Like, as long as they're doing their due diligence and they're, they're really trying, they should be able to take on the beholder. So what what are some tips and tricks that a group of PCs could do to prepare for a fight against a beholder, provided that they know that they're going to be fighting a beholder? Like yeah. they've, they've done their homework, they've done investigations, they've found out what they're coming up against. What could they use? What could they do? Other um, than just like, oh, be a fighter. Like, so the wizard's like, well, I'm fucked, right? The wizard's <laughs> like, I'm screwed. Or you got a wizard and a druid and a cleric, and they're all just like, uh oh. Well, yeah. What could they do? If you if you're a high caster group, you're gonna want to spread out quite a bit so that I-beam can't be on multiple people at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have someone who can, like a, like a fae who can do fae step, things like that, where they can move quite a bit, it's really great. Tabaxi's also, they're really fast and so, really speedy, so they're not always... So, so racial traits spot. that are mobility yeah. would be helpful. But yeah. that's not you something you got, can control with, in the game. Yeah, just you know? with a beholder, though, you got to think of your utility effects rather than just like your spells and your hits right. with the beholder you have you to think, think out, of the, out of the box you have to think what you n- don't normally use in a battle is needing to be used right now okay like, so let's let's do a hypothetical from a player's perspective you're a human mm-hmm. you're a wizard mm-hmm. you're going to be fighting a beholder what do you do to prepare i've never played a wizard that's a hard question <laughs> <laughs> okay um, druid then you play a druid <clears throat> Any full caster class, really, it applies. Like, what kind of a uh, what kind of tips or tricks do you think would be? Just try to get behind it and have your own shielding available. Like, or find any shielding that you have. Um, what do you mean by shielding? Like uh, cover that can shield shield from the eye stalks. Oh, okay. You know, so like get behind cover. it, shield yourself from the eye stalks. That way you're not going to go down very fast because if you're a caster you're squishy it's just kind of I would say the sad part about it I would say like if you're playing if the DM is playing the beholder right mm-hmm. there's going to be rare opportunities where you're not in the anti-magic field if you're the full caster yeah don't use your low level stuff yeah if you have that shot the minute shoot it at the highest yeah. level you can mm-hmm. yeah you know, like moonbeam at the highest spot you can yeah because like let's see <laughs> like it's only immunities are being prone which is obvious so it's like use the fact that it's just a fleshy thing mm-hmm. against it like yeah absolutely yeah. what do you think Anna? um if you're trying to figure out how to fight it well if you're a caster you basically have to strategize with the rest of your team if mm-hmm. you have fighters then you say okay you guys distract it i'll try and get behind it and line up a shot Mm. Don't let it <laughs> touch me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, and it just depends on what kind of party you have. Scope out the terrain, see if there's areas that you can hide in, areas that you can try and, like, kite it, you know? Run around and get something in between yourself and it. So one of, like, the martial... One of the martial players draws aggro mm-hmm. enough that the beholder is now chasing them. Yeah would be a good situation for the mm-hmm. players because then the the casters or even just like the you know the like a ranger can now use their mm-hmm. their spells and the paladins and you don't like even that. have to think of it from a um abilities point of view like what can your character do what are your combat abilities what are your spells what are your weapons you can think about it from a role play point of view how do you distract it how, how do you, do piss, you it off? piss it off because yeah. beholders are very prideful think of insults to throw at it mm-hmm. you know what are choose your characters that have a lot of charisma to kind of like try and piss it off and get it off its game um, get it drawn out from its little hidey hole where it has the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Use its you know? paranoia against it. Yeah. Yeah, use it's, its paranoia. Try and make it think that there's other people 
that are going to come. There are other elements at play that don't actually exist, but could scare it into making a bad decision or trying to go somewhere else and you can chase after it. I don't know. I love this because I went a completely different direction. But like all, all, all everything you guys said was totally like awesome. Mm-hmm. I went with preparation in terms of non-magical weaponry and things you can use. Yeah. Molotov cocktails. If you bust one of those onto it and it's on fire, it doesn't matter. Well, first of all, the central eye's not going to be able to really look at itself mm-hmm. all that well because it's spherical. Harpoons that are, like, connected to ropes that you can, like, just nullify their mobility and their ability to escape. Nets. Also, another thing that I thought of that I, I was like, yes, this, this would be so cool. If the GM is uh, going to allow it, mirrors. Oh, Mirrored yeah. armor. Like, get your adamantine armor, polish it to a point that you can see your reflection. They hit you with a beam. Maybe your GM Maybe allows you to rule that it, yeah. it that it that it bounces off. Maybe it works in sort of a Medusa way where it's mm-hmm. like actually a laser. Like it has to make contact. It has to make actual contact with you, but if it's a reflective surface, hmm. maybe it bounces off. Yeah. But maybe, you know, maybe that complicates things, and depending on the angle, the, the beholder can use those mirrors against the party or something like that. I don't know. But, like, you know, preparations like that so that the wizard goes in, and they're like, all right, I'm going to leave my spellbook at home, but I'm going to take these Molotov cocktails and this, you know, crossbow with a harpoon on it, you know, that's mm-hmm. like... The, the rope is tied to the barbarian's waist. <laughs> so it's like, wherever you going, he's going. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the mirror armor, but as the as a dungeon master, I would allow there to be a percentage chance that it acts more like a disco ball. Yeah, just like... Yeah, so there's the chance that it splits up and can hit multiple targets, and yeah. they can't control where the beams go. Like, if they wanted to use it in the way that they intended to redirect it back at the beholder, it would have to make the check a lot higher, you know? Or maybe it works, but it only works once. Yeah. And then, like, the beholder's like, okay, well, while you're holding that, I'm not going to be shooting that at you. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to leave you alone for now, or Mm -hmm. something like that. Or that you could also um, let that be a way to buff the beholder. The beholder has a structure in his lair that allows him to do that with his eye beams. To disco ball it, you know? <gasps> a house of mirrors yeah. with a beholder. Yeah. Holy shit, that'd be terrifying. And then you don't even know which one is the actual beholder. Yeah. And then it doesn't need to move fast. Oh my god. So. <laughs> That's so dangerous. To set up a situation, he's in this little closed off area, like a little cubby hole that his eye, his anti magic field sticks out of. If you go into that field, you can't use anything, but it's the only area that you have to get to him. Mm. He has the mirrors set up so that he can shoot out, hit those mirrors, and if you're not in the anti-magic field, you'll get hit by something. Oh, damn. Oh, God, I just... I think I just (laughs) came up with, like, a crazy way to buff the beholder in search of something to help the players. That's funny. All right. As a DM... I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into it. Uh, what sort of things or creatures would you include with the Beholder that you think, you know, play off of its strengths really well to, like, make it extra challenging? Like, it could be items, it could be minions. Like, what, when you're crafting this dungeon, Cass kind of said... Other beholders or, like, undead beholders yeah. or something like that. What else could we use? I, I think we just found the ultimate thing, though. With mirrors? The mirrors. Okay. Like... <laughs> Let's just count on that, you know? Because, like, that could be hard to run mechanically for a brand new DM. Or it could be just incredibly daunting for new players to be coming up against yeah. that. No, like... you, would, you don't do that to a new player. get frustrated with with bosses sometimes it's like there's no way to win <laughs> but that no like no don't do that don't, don't do that to yeah, but then player. I would say I would argue that even in those situations most of the time you've still won like how many yeah. play how many no, player yeah. characters have you had that have actually died 
only like a few, and most of the time it's like because they sacrifice themselves. Yeah, but like <laughs> I would also it wasn't just an outright unexpected. Yeah. Just like oh now. whoops, I think that's mostly happened to Thomas. <laughs> yeah, and his own spells. I cast meter shards. Thomas is the guy that we play D D with. Uh, almost every time we play. He's just the most brilliant and... Brilliant, chaotic, unstable yeah. characters. Like, comes uh, up specialty. With amazing stuff, but half the time... Saves the group from a seemingly impossible situation, and then five games down the road just, like, dies out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So fun to play with. He, he's GMing our campaign right now. And it and is insane. It gives you stress... Stress diarrhea <laughs> because you're like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. There's there's no way and to it's like probably gonna change in two seconds anyway. There's no way to plan for a scenario yeah. because there really is no way to predict successfully yeah. how it's gonna turn out. Yeah, because no matter what you think of, he's gonna spin it a completely different way. And beholders, especially because it does say that like when you use the eye ray, it you you choose three of the ten and you roll them randomly. You yeah. don't, you even as a DM don't really know exactly what's going to be thrown out. Do, should we go over the eye rays specifically? And it says re-roll duplicates. That yeah, way so you mm-hmm. can't do two of the same eye rays. In a so turn. our first one is kind of a tame one. It's a charm ray, which could be dangerous. Like, you know, you have your martial classes and the, you, those player characters that are like, specifically, we need you to be dealing out the damage because mm-hmm. it's non-magical. All of a sudden, they're charmed. The target creature must succeed on a DC 16 wisdom saving throw. Depending on how they built their barbarian, mm-hmm. that could be a pretty Bad. daunting task, a DC 16. Uh, or be charmed by the beholder for one hour or until the beholder harms the creature. That does not mention rerolls. That does not mention they get to reroll every time they take damage. They are mm-hmm. charmed with... They are charmed... Or an hour, or until the beholder harms that creature. So all the beholder has to do, if they fail that save, is just not hurt them. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Number two, Paralyzing Ray. The target must succeed on a DC con- 16 con save, or be paralyzed for one minute. This time, they can repeat the saving throw at the end of their turn. So that one... Paralyzation is really dangerous in D&D because, like, every time you get hit while paralyzed, it's a critical. So you're going to take double damage. But they do get to repeat the saving throw at the end of their turn. You have the Fear Ray. That's a... I think all of the DCs are 16. Uh, It's a Wisdom saving throw. Frightened for a minute, but they can repeat the saving throw. A Slowing Ray. Uh, That's a Dexterity saving throw. Uh, their speed is halved. Innervation, that's just a shit ton of necrotic damage. Telekinesis, that can be dangerous depending on the environment. Is there a cliff? Or, you know, have you made it to the top chamber and there's a giant pit hole in the middle that they flew up from? Is there even a save to the telekinesis? There is. It is a 16 strength save. Or he gets to, or the beholder gets to move you up to 30 feet in any direction. Uh, and you are restrained by the t- the the raised telekinetic grip, so you can't like grab onto the edge. If they move you thirty feet down and let you go, you're falling because you're you're restrained. Mm-hmm. Like they they yeah. Uh, that one has like more like there's a weight limit to it. Uh, when it comes to objects and stuff like that. They can only lift up to 300 pounds if it's an object that's not being worn or carried or something like that. So if you're really, really, really heavy for some reason, they're probably not going to use that on you. Uh, Sleep Ray. That's a wisdom saving throw. Um, That one can also kind of be dangerous as well because it's very similar to the Paralysis Ray where they're going to have advantage on you. You're, You're basically unconscious. Petrification is a scary one. Uh, on a failed deck save, they begin to turn to stone. Uh, they have to repeat the saving throw at the end of the turn. If they save, it ends. But if they fail again, they're petrified. And the only thing that's going to bring them back if, is a greater restoration. If they save, is it also reversed? 
Because they're slowly turning to stone. If they well, keep... they get one more save. That's oh, what it says. The okay. target creature would make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, the creature begins to turn to stone and is restrained. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its turn. On a success, the effect ends. On a failure, they're petrified. Okay. So they repeat it one more time. If they save, they're great. If they fail, done. It's it. That's worse than a basilisk. Because the basilisk, you have to do three failures in order to turn to stone. So it's a quicker petrification. But would you say, like, they're beginning to turn to stone if they save it, it, it ends, it's not, they're not completely stone. Right. But do they still have parts of them that are stone, though? Like, do they have to get a... Uh... Regeneration spell? No. Restoration. restoration. Greater restoration. It says greater restoration or comparative magic. So like a, I guess like a heal would probably work. So they could still be um, disabled during battle partially because maybe their hands or their fingers or their legs are now stone or something. You That's know? something you could do. Like if, if you're wanting to buff that ray, then yeah, like maybe they... It maybe maybe you it, it takes two rounds to turn to stone, but it also takes two rounds to stop turning into stone. Like, mm-hmm. like they're at disadvantage for the next two rounds, depending on what they want to do, because they're breaking chunks of stone off of them. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it's like falling down and stuff like that. That'd be a good way to kind of flavor mm-hmm. it and and make it a little bit more difficult. So those are things you can think about while you're fighting. You don't have to buff things entirely before you start an encounter with your players. You can have things off to the side that you can add in if for some reason it's really easy for them. Yeah, if like Or it's harder than you expected. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They got their classic disintegration ray, which is mentioned in the description. Uh, That one's just a bunch of force damage. It functions very similarly to the actual spell, just with less damage. It's 10d8 instead of what is it? 10d8 plus 30 or something like that? Or am uh-huh. I thinking of a different spell? For what? Disintegration? Disintegrate the actual yeah. spell. I think it does more damage. I, I think it's plus 40, actually. But, like, if it, if it reduces you to zero, you become a pile of fine gray dust. Mm-hmm. I think that's crazy. Uh, and then it has its final one, which is a death ray. If you roll a 10, uh, it's a DC 16 dex save or take 10 D 10 necrotic damage. And if you are reduced to zero, you, you straight up die. You no just saving die. throws, no nothing. Yeah. So like the eye rays are potent, but would we want to change up any of those? You were mentioning just kind of tweaking the petrification ray mm-hmm. to sort of have a longer lasting recovery yeah, to 40. it. Would we want to swap out any of those? For the standard beholder, I uh, you don't really need to mess with it that much. But yeah. if you do the whole like changing what kind of creature it is, you could have a lot of fun with those. Yeah, you could have m- multiple different charming type. Like if, for example, the Fey that you mentioned, mm-hmm. maybe there's like uh, the irresistible dance effect or something like that. Yeah, or, like more not charming. necessarily charmed. Yeah, more but they char- are like, like Tasha's harmful. crown of madness yeah, or something. Yeah, you could get really cool. You could basically take any sort of targeted spell or any sort of uh like yeah, any sort of targeted spell and make a ray out of it. Or the petrification instead of stone, they start turning into a tree. Yeah. Or something. Yeah, just reskin it flavor wise. Mm-hmm. That'd be a fun thing to play with. Uh alright, so like um what were we talking about? Oh yeah, How what were we, we going to pair? Yeah. Oh, okay. So what kind of minions would we want to pair with a beholder? What do we think would be a good? I guess it depends on the setting too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what minions you'd even want to do? So if it's like a, a Xanathar esque one where they're underneath a city, he'd have like some fairly intelligent humanoids, minions. humans, people. You yeah. know, people yeah. that are people be that are being extorted or you know forced into into service to this beholder. And then they could have varied, you could have everything from, like, you know, homeless people to, like, uh, an archmage, yeah. you know? If if the beholder has their daughter or something like that, you, you'd be surprised what kind of evil people will do in order to save their, their friends and family, you know? So you could have some pretty potent, you could even play with having, like, holy figures under the service of a... You could do a straight-up Wizard of Oz kind of thing where he's hiding in the background of this entire civilization, a kingdom. He's pulling, pulling the, the strings. strings. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that would be fun. 
Okay, what if it's more of like a rural setting? What if it's like more in the wilderness? I think Hobgoblins is a great idea because if you're looking at all the different like types of Hobgoblins and like their little classes and subclasses and stuff like that, I think Hobgoblins could be a very potent. And they're they're fairly organized. And so like if if this beholder wants to rule a kingdom but isn't quite powerful enough to rule a human kingdom or like an mm -hmm. elven or dwarven or whatever, then just Hobgoblin is the next as... one. Yeah. They are better casters than other sort of, I don't know what kind of races you call them, goblinoid races. They're the, they're, the be they're the best of the goblinoid races. They're more organized than orcs and stuff like that. Orcs are very brutish, very, you know, they have the one thing they do, which is, you know, yeah, slash and bash and stuff like that. Hobgoblins, there's a lot more variety. You have war casters, you have generals, you have more of a structured society that allows for more adept training of their troops. What do you guys think? What would be other fun monsters or races to, to pair up with beholders? Um, you could have, I don't know, you could, if you have them in different planes and stuff, you can have smaller, less powerful creatures that are um, specific to those planes, like you could have, he could have a bunch of imps that he uses, mm. you know, or like if he's again a fey beholder, he could have a bunch of nymphs. Yeah, and... or he's just really into like summoning magic. And yeah, just... summoning magic. He's smart enough that he's made pacts with several different devil lords, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. So you got like he's a negotiator. Yeah, you have like Glabrezu running around, Ooh, ice devils, he, summons he, from their packs. His it's specialty like a, is making contracts with other beings, like extraplanar beings. He yeah. could even have some warlock warlocks in his employ. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if we're talking about have giving them casters that can do their bidding, yeah. he could have a bunch of warlocks that he Full has Full on devil or fiendish cult mm -hmm. flavor. That's yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode. Um, for joining us in our discussion of Les Beholders. Uh, make sure to subscribe. Share this with your friends, especially those who like tabletop role-playing games. Those Share it with your mom. I told her about it, but I don't know if she yeah, saw my text. Make sure your mom gets this episode. We miss her. Don't yeah, share it with uh, my mom. You know. Yeah, not our moms, just yours. Uh <laughs> Be sure to check out all our other channels, and we will see you next time. Say bye, guys. Bye. No. <laughs> <laughs>